If I had to pick one area of ag that is a clear win for both the planet and farmer profitability, it's finding ways to be more efficient with the nutrients required to produce a crop. I've really not seen a market in ag move this fast in my career. I've been in biofuels, I've been in software, I've been seeing the seed side, crop production side, and it, so it's super exciting. Adam Lytle is the CEO of Sound Agriculture. He was on the show back in episode 295, and he's back today with Sound co-founder Travis Bayer to talk about not only nutrient use efficiency and their source product, but also how technology is empowering us in ag to approach biological problems differently. That's a trend we've seen broadly in the field of synthetic biology over the past 20 years is really thinking about living systems as an engineerable substrate, as more of an engineering project than a discovery project. And Travis saw this years ago when he recruited Adam in part for his software background to lead SoundAg as CEO. Together, they're building a company that I believe embodies where agriculture is headed. How we can be more agile, be more resilient, and this is the future of ag versus kind of well, synthetic reforest approaches. It's software paced with even bigger impact because it's the confluence of physical stuff and data science and AI all coming together with leveraging biology. Sound Agriculture's Adam Lytle and Travis Bayer on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Today's episode and every episode this quarter is made possible thanks to the support of our quarterly presenting sponsor, which actually happens to be Sound Agriculture. This is a great time to talk about Sound's source product because just about everywhere you look, fertilizer prices are high and in some cases availability itself is a real issue. So finding a better source of crop nutrients going forward is on top of a lot of people's minds. Well, believe it or not, that nutrient source might just be your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already in your fields so you can apply less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. Source is a foliar applied biochemistry that activates soil microbes to unlock more nitrogen and phosphorus. It works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use to sort of wake up the microbes in the soil. So kind of like caffeine for microbes, if you will. To learn more, visit sound.ag. That's just sound.ag. And thank you to Sound Agriculture for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Speaking of Sound Ag, our featured guests today are indeed the company's CEO, Adam Lytle, as well as their co-founder and CTO, Travis Bayer. Now, if you're a longtime listener and you're thinking, okay, I've heard about Sound Ag on previous episodes of this podcast, that's fantastic. But I assure you, there's a lot more you haven't heard, and this episode is well worth your time. Adam and Travis do a really great job of capturing a major trend for the future of agriculture, which is the convergence of biology and data science and other modern technologies to create innovative products that work with nature. But, and this is a very important component, they're also products that are commercialized with the farmer customer in mind. Some quick background here to start off as CEO, Adam Lytle leads Sound Agriculture strategy and overall company execution. He joined Sound to help serve both producers and consumers with more sustainable, differentiated crops. 
Prior to Sound, Adam was on the founding team and served as chief revenue officer at Granular. And before that, he was general manager of the cellulase enzyme business at Codexis, a publicly traded industrial biotech company serving the healthcare and agriculture industries. He began his career as an investment banker at Barclays Capital, and he has a JD MBA from the University of Michigan. Travis Bayer co-founded Sound Agriculture in 2013 to identify science-based solutions for today's complex agricultural challenges. Travis's career has focused on understanding how to harness the diversity of the Earth's natural systems to enable a more sustainable world. His approach to discovery combines deep knowledge of molecular biology, biochemistry, and biophysics with an innately creative spirit. He has a Ph.D. in biochemistry and biophysics from Caltech and a bachelor's in molecular biology from the University of Texas at Austin. We're going to spend the first part of today's episode talking with Adam and Travis about the source product, its significance and where that fits into the marketplace. Then we sort of shift gears a little bit into talking about their approach to data and technology and what this blend of biology and software means for the future of agriculture. Really interesting stuff. First, though, I asked Travis how all this got started when he co-founded Sound Agriculture with Eric Davidson back in 2013. The first project we were working on was actually looking at how we could improve farm productivity in smallhold farms in sub-Saharan Africa. So we were looking at a very different problem and understanding how plants and soil microbes and actually parasites in the soil in these particular places in Kenya and Uganda and Zimbabwe, how that worked. And what we saw was actually this really, really interesting discovery where we started to understand how molecular signals between the plant and the microbe beyond just this focused geography can actually help growers everywhere be able to uh, feed their crop in a more sustainable way. You know, we, we really wanted to work in this area to start with. But the discoveries and the kind of breakthroughs along the way really is what steered us towards developing the source product. And what is a molecular signal? So uh, break that down for for those of us who are not uh, microbiologists. Yeah, so maybe it's worth thinking about sort of all the interactions that happen in the soil. And the way I like to think about it is there's really an economy happening under our feet as we walk through a field. So you have plants and microbes and the microbes are they're competing with each other. So they're competing for food, uh, but they're also cooperating with each other. And the microbes compete with microbes, the microbes cooperate with the plant. And the way that a lot of this kind of barter economy of nutrients happens, the way it starts is with a signal. So the plant will send a small molecule out into the soil to basically signal to microbes that it's ready to cooperate, it's ready to trade nutrients. Microbes will actually send signals back to the plant and say, hey, we're here, we're ready to cooperate. And that's actually what starts this symbiosis, this exchange of nutrients, this barter economy at the root zone. So what we're doing with Source is really providing a signal to the whole system and saying, hey, let's all cooperate and let's start to trade nutrients between soil, microbes and plants. How do you know the plant's ready when you send that signal or as part of what you're doing, helping both sides signal to each other? We're really only working on one side and then we let nature take it from there. So what we're doing is going in and saying with our source product, here's a signal that activates and turns on the microbes. And then they start signaling the plant and that, that sort of natural process runs downhill from there. If you think about what's going on in a, in a modern agricultural field in the soil, 
a lot of these symbiotic relationships have been turned off because of agricultural practices, overuse of fertilizer. A lot of that, that sort of natural ecosystem is either dormant or is completely turned off. So what we're doing is really kind of waking that up and activating that again and letting that natural process kick in to provide more nutrition for the crop. A nice way to dovetail the space too is uh, with regenerative agriculture. And so that's really what's what folks are trying to do there and get off dependency on ball chemistry, really, um, whether it's fertilizer or crop protection or other things that in essence put the microbes to, to sleep or atrophy them. And so we can help accelerate that reawakening, essentially mimicking a natural process, but putting it uh, at a much higher velocity, much higher amplitude. Interesting. So they will wake up in that environment or uh, if in the case of regenerative agriculture, if the, if that environment is more natural, I guess, let's say it'll it'll just elevate it from there is what you're saying, Adam. That's right. That's right. And and and, and you see that in the curve of organic matter in the soil, microbial activity anyway, as growers are moving away from that. But it's really hard in production agriculture to do that at scale because you go through this uh, trough of lack of profitability as you do get a hit to yield when you're getting off the sauce, so to speak. And there are things you can do with, with classes of, of products like ours that help supplement that along, along the way, and then just boost and provide an insurance policy for your yield throughout. Um, so there's really a wide degree of applications, but I just use it as an analogy for something that we are kind of elegantly helping work better. And I think a positive trend for soil health and agriculture in general. Yeah, for sure. And, and Travis, you know, I always hear about like in a tablespoon of soil, there's billions of microbes, you know. Um, you mentioned it as kind of an economy. So do we have any sort of a sense of like how many of those billions of microbes are working for us versus against us or kind of competing or hindering what we're trying to do, which ultimately is get, you know, crop yield? Yeah. So the majority of microbes down in the soil are, are helping. You know, if you think of, again, of economic terms, it's a handful of cheaters that are the pathogens. They're the ones taking advantage of the system and attacking the plant directly instead of cooperating and trading nutrients. So there really is this, this big diversity of beneficial microbes that we've really just started to understand and really just started to tap into. Pathogens and you know, disease-causing microbes, we, we've studied those for a long time because they have these very obvious, very negative effects on crop yield. But we're just now, as an industry, starting to understand exactly what's down in the soil, exactly how it interacts with the crop. Right. Well, let's talk about the data aspect of this, because it's really interesting. I mean, you've been at this since, what, uh, 2013, I think, uh, Travis, as a co-founder and then bringing Adam on. Um, since that time, have you just been like collecting a database of not only identifying these microbes, but also kind of logging the data of how they interact in various ways? Yeah, there's, there's a few different aspects there. So we're always growing our data and our understanding around a few things. One is microbes, right? The biology and the diversity of what's in the soil. The second is what molecules or what chemistry actually influences those microbes. And so that's part of what we do that's a little bit different from many other groups and companies is really try to understand the molecular interactions, how these microbes talk to each other, how they talk to the plant. And then the third level of data that, that we're collecting and building on year after year is really the impact of molecules and microbes on yield and on agronomic performance. So it, it really is this sort of continuum from molecule to microbe to field where we're trying to understand how all of that interacts and really do that in a way that we can 
continue to develop better and better products, but also continue to refine our understanding of placement, where you actually use our products for the biggest impact in terms of agronomics and return on investment. Because as you all know, (laughs) every single product in ag does not work the same way on every acre. It's always environment dependent. And so what we really want to do is understand at the agronomic level and at the molecular level, those interactions so we can place the product better to give higher ROI for the grower. And through that process, has the source product been through several iterations? You know, it may look the same from a farmer standpoint because you kind of apply it the same way, but the product itself, has it iterated uh, over time based on sort of that data and that feedback? What's, what's really iterated is the placement guidelines, how we actually put this acre to acre and what we recommend you do with it. The other thing that we, we have seen move throughout the seasons is some formulation upgrades. And we don't see source as a static product. We, see, we think that it's going to continue to evolve and continue to improve in performance, robustness, and impact as, as time goes on. So I, I don't see this as we put out the product and we never, never touch it again. I see this as an evolving thing to continually uh, push the limits of what's possible. And kind of staying on this this data topic, Adam, let's bring you in. You know, how how are you looking at data as the CEO here? And, um, you know, talk to us about sort of where that plays into the strategy in general. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm kind of a data geek as a CEO uh, and not just in regards to how our product works with growers, but also running a company and thinking about data driven operational decisions. A lot of it is because of my background is on a software and data analytics company, and I've been a product manager on that side. So what we, I think, fairly uniquely do is we don't just take a spray and pray approach with our products. And, and that's more typical in inputs because to be fair, it's really difficult to figure out the signal of where and when you should apply an input, uh, especially when it comes to a biological or nutrient efficient use efficiency of which we're not a biological or chemistry, but we're in that bucket of, of products for the for the grower because there's so many variables that impact you. Uh, however, I don't think that's a reason not to do it and not to try because I, I do believe the name of the game is going to be data driven placement in this entire space when it comes to especially chemistry products, but also seed and biology. It's just a matter of time when we fast forward 10 to 20 years, and that's going to be ubiquitous. We have the luck, I'd say, or advantage of fewer variables affecting us because we are a chemistry. And so it tends to be more consistent in terms of uh, sources performance where it increases yield or quite effectively reduce, reduce nitrogen. It is not as affected by the microbial mix like you might see with a particular biological, and it's applied as a foliar spray in season, either around B4-B6 in corn or later in BT um, when the grain is filling. And so you're really hitting the crop when it needs that nutrition. And as a result, there are just fewer things that can knock it off. Again, to Travis's point, it doesn't mean it works everywhere, but we've boiled it down to a few salient factors like what is your pounds of end applied if you're on corn? What is your yield target? What is your pH? What is your organic matter? And what is your cation exchange capacity? So you don't even need all five, but with those five variables, we can give you a recommendation very simply. It's even on our website. It's called our performance optimizer to recommend whether you should use us to boost yield or reduce nitrogen. Or in a a few cases, about five to 10% of the time, we'll recommend limited performance because we don't think it's going to work as well and you shouldn't buy the product. I think that is going to be critical 
for not just us, but other companies to really maintain high retention, to make sure we're not just churning and burning through growers uh, and you get a different set every year and that they're coming back and adopting them across their whole farm. Because at the end of the day, these sky high grain prices and fertilizer prices are not going to last forever. We think they will stay high, but we're at a peak where in a few years, they're probably going to be lower and you need to be prepared for different use cases and data-driven decisions when the ROI gets a little tighter. And I think we're doing that uh, uniquely well. It is kind of a paradigm shift, right? Like I think, you know, in agriculture, we're, we're very accustomed to collecting data on a crop of plants, seeing what they need from a nutrition standpoint or, or pest and disease standpoint and applying something. This is totally different because it is uh, actually based on the actual data of, of what's happening underneath the soil. So what does that process look like to your point, what you're just talking about, Adam, of how do we get those data points? Is it just a, a normal soil sample test that, that an agronomist or a farmer would do on an annual basis anyway? Or is there a proprietary process here to actually collecting that data so that we get that precision uh, data-driven placement? There's actually nothing uh, that fancy or proprietary about how we collect the data. And that's, I think, a good thing because anything you do that complicates a grower's life or, or requires that they do something different and get more data makes your adoption harder and it makes your customer's life harder. And we want to meet them where they are and, and, and improve their lives and their profit and make things easier, not harder. So there's actually two levels of it. One level is with two data points, your yield target and your pounds of nitrogen applied, we get something called a NUE score um, that most agronomists talk about already, nutrient use efficiency score. And if that ratio is about one or above, we would generally recommend you use source to drop 25 plus pounds of nitrogen up to 50 per acre. If your NUE score is is lower than 1.0, then you're already a little more efficient and we'd say use us just to boost yield. And it depends where you are and, and as a grower, how you look at that, but it tends to be maybe half and half of what we see in the Corn Belt and broader states. We're, we sell in about 23 states now, I think of what we would recommend and how folks would use it. That's level one. And that's a pretty simple conversation where literally everyone can give you at least a, a, an estimate of what that is. And if it changes in some blocks of their fields, then they can, they can do some, you know, one approach on one field and a different approach on the other. But you're not creating half a dozen different plans based on a myriad of data. It's, it's pretty straightforward. The next level is if you're if you're a little more of a what I call you know an agronomy geek and and I say that lovingly because I, I aspire to be one <laughs> and you really want to dig in we do look at pH of your soil we look at uh, the organic matter percentage content we look at something called cation exchange capacity and pretty much all growers already have this with their data soil samples so um, we just take the last year's data and plug it into our algorithm and you can even go on our site uh, sound.ag and look under performance optimizer under source and do that yourself, or our sales agronomy team will um, ingest your data uh, either through your system, FieldView, John Deere, UpCenter, or take a, a Excel file and give you back a report on, on how exactly we recommend using the product. So it can be easy and simple. Uh, it can be a little more in-depth and nuanced, um, but either way, uh, it's very actionable because we're not asking for new data. And I think probably from a uh, you know user standpoint, it, it makes sense that you kind of focus on on row crops. But I'm curious, just scientifically, does this theoretically work on on other crops as well? Yeah, it, it does. We're we're relatively crop agnostic, 
And then that's because the, the signal that we've designed and developed that, it, that is the active ingredient and source is really signaling to a really broad spectrum of beneficial microbes. And while we see differences in the microbiome around the root zone of different crops, you know, potatoes are different than corn, different from soy, different from, you know, alfalfa, we do have enough diversity of these beneficial microbes that we're going to signal to a good fraction of those in any given environment. So as we're expanding into new crops, and for, for 2023, we actually have a, a product that is going to go into a, a few new ones like wheat. We're really just taking the progress and the data that we have from corn, soy, and anything else we've worked on and tailoring the formulation, tailoring the rate and the timing and some of the product features to, to meet the needs of a grower for whatever crop we're going into. It's amazing. So uh, this is a little bit of a, a bigger picture, open-ended type question, Travis, but I'm curious, you know, what is your sense of the potential here? I mean, we, we know we have validated data of what source can do, but I'm asking more the potential of the kind of natural microbes that are in the soil for us to communicate with them in a way to provide crop nutrition or, or help with the crop's needs. You know, what is your sense of the potential here? Are, are we, are we, you know, close to maximizing it? Or do you think new technology will continue to unlock this to further meet the needs of our crops? Yeah, great question. And we think a lot about this. You know, if you look at the, the microbes in the soil and you think about the whole system, right? Plants getting their energy from photosynthesis, putting some carbon into the soil to feed microbes. We estimate that about 50% of the crop's nutrition needs can be met with microbial nitrogen fixation. So that means that if you're a corn grower and you're putting on 180 units of nitrogen, we think about 90 units could be provided by the soil alone. Now, the reason we can't go to 100 is that there's not enough energy in the system. So doing things like fixing nitrogen and making a plant available is pretty expensive from an energetic standpoint, from a biochemical standpoint. And so anybody who says that they can replace 100% of synthetic nitrogen has probably not done the math and worked out the thermodynamics. But we think 50% is a great goal. Um, what we're seeing in our data right now is we're, we're hitting anywhere in the 20 to 30% range. And so we think there's improvements that we can do to our active ingredients, our formulations, and some other, other angles we're working on to get closer to that 50% range. To actually go beyond that, I think it's going to take um, some pretty radical innovations, not only on the soil side, but also on the crop breeding side. And that, that would include enhancing photosynthesis, getting more carbon into the soil, and some things that are a little bit longer term and a little bit more blue sky science. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And Adam, you know, um, maybe there's a question for you is knowing how integrated the system is between the plant genetics and what you're facilitating here with the microbial interactions. You know, are there uh, opportunities for you to partner with genetics company to develop products sort of in tandem? Yes, absolutely. A lot, actually, a lot of our go to market is partner driven. And so we have a, a dual route. In the U.S., we really like to own our own destiny in terms of getting the product in the hands of, of growers. And so we mostly sell through agent dealers, folks who will maybe be selling seed already or be agronomic service advisors. Uh, but we don't go to market today uh, through larger distribution because we really like that consultative sale approach that they, they have on the dealer network. And then we do some still direct to grower for key, key farms and influencers. 
And that's really been helpful in accelerating this market. Uh, so that's the starting point. But we also then have some large partnerships, especially outside of the U.S. and to, to layer on because there's a lot of potential in this. If, you, if you're reducing nitrogen by 30% worldwide, that's the equivalent of taking 200 million gas-powered cars off the road. So we want to make sure we're optimizing that fully uh, and also driving revenue and profit. So we got into a partnership with Syngenta um, for the Chinese market to reduce nitrogen. Uh, they have rights there. Uh, we have a partnership with Mosaic to combine source uh, with a micronutrient, which is a, a co-development effort. And there's others who are interested quite often in combinations. We've thought about things like source plus a micro, uh, and we're testing for synergies there, or another chemistry product. And without disclosing too much detail, there's a good half a dozen directions on different form factors where the sky's the limit in terms of where you can take, not just source the active ingredient, but the other ones Travis is talking about in the pipeline. We already have a, a second active ingredient, a different chemistry for our soybean product because that's less of a nitrogen story, more phosphorus and other things. And then we have other actives in the pipeline as well um, that could come out. So, you know, fast forward five years, we anticipate being a company where there are three plus products on the market, three, four products on the market, and, and not just selling ourselves, but uh, through some larger partners to really get it across tens of millions of acres. Excellent. Well, if there's ever a year to, you know, uh, bring everyone to the table who wants to lower their fertilizer bill, I, I would think, you know, this is probably one of them. But Adam, you know, what are you and your team, what, what are you noticing about the type of customer that is really first to adopt a product like this? Obviously, everybody wants to lower their fertilizer bill. Uh, but uh, beyond that, what kind of nuances are you noticing about farmers that are really um, jumping aboard here? The answer is very different today than what it would have been a year ago and certainly two years ago. I, I've really not seen a market in ag move this fast in my career. I've been in biofuels, I've been in software, um, I've, I've been seeing the seed side, <laughs> crop production side, and it, so it's super exciting. It started out with your classic early adopter uh, who is more progressive, maybe more of a regenerative mindset, and, and for a multitude of reasons, not just profit, looking at ways of growing things more sustainably. And, and then bottom line, ROI, profit is, is still king, but um, that didn't get them over the line as much a couple of years ago. Last year, uh, you started to see that heat up um, where you probably went from a few percent of growers two, three years ago uh, using products like these to um, data I saw in a larger study was about 7%. And then I recently saw some other, other data that this year, over 30% of growers are using nutrient use efficiency products, whether it's a biological or, or source or related, um, to unlock that nutrition and basically replace in some form classic synthetic fertilizer. So that kind of adoption curve is just massive. It, it, it's very close to what you saw with um, GMO and glyphosate and everything in the 90s, which is one of the fastest adoption curves, driven by really two things. One is the sustainability tailwinds where growers are seeing carrots and sticks um, increasingly around fertilizer use. And then just two classic supply demand on, on input prices and opportunities to, to do more with less. And so now it's in the mainstream. It's fully in the, I'd say, early mainstream and, and even some of the, the late mainstream. Uh, so it's harder to give you a, a psychographic of the customer because it's kind of, it's kind of mass market now. And, and that's exciting, but it's challenging because it means we've had to scale our team from when I joined 
in April 2020, we were 25 people. We're now 120, and our sales team uh, in the last year has tripled uh, sales and marketing team. So we're just trying to chase chase demand with lots of types of growers, early adopters, and, and others. We've, we've definitely crossed the proverbial chasm at this point. Man, you, you must be an adrenaline junkie, Adam. I mean, going from, from the granular uh, rocket ship to the sound ag rocket ship. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's fun, right? Like life's short. Gotta, gotta, gotta move and try to make an impact. And, and I've been lucky. Uh, a lot of it is luck, right? Like who, who knew some of the market dynamics would be what they, what they were. And yeah, we caught a lot of the software um, trend pretty well. And so it's, it's been a lot of fun and I was honored and really blessed to be able to join the, the sound team. And I, I know you guys aren't, aren't uh, you know, Source is not a biological product in, in the, you know, strict sense of the word, uh, but it is dealing with biology. And, and Adam, it does seem like there is this trend that biology is becoming more and more like software with the modern tools we have you know, biologically to, to kind of treat it a little bit more like uh, an engineered software product. Are you noticing more similarities or more differences uh, having been in kind of the two different worlds back to back? Yeah, I, I think that's part of the reason Travis hired me. <laughs> we, he jokes about that, of kind of seeing that coming. And we haven't even covered on this podcast, but I think on the last one we spoke, Tim, we've got this other earlier stage business in the company that I'll just briefly touch on called on-demand breeding, where we use epigenetics to tune gene expression and create new crop traits around taste and uh, nutrition, disease resistance, sustainability uh, characteristics but literally from the plant and biology side, but without changing the, the DNA. And so without going into the, how that works, I think conceptually, both of these things have biochemistry at the core and we are a synthetic biology company. And so to zoom out, many who are close to this believe, and I'm one of those, that the information age that we are in right now still, but have really like embraced for the last 20 to 30 years with the internet and AI and all these things, is going to lead to the synthetic biology age, like now-ish, but we're still in the early days. To me, it feels like 1990 um, with the internet when it comes to synthetic biology, where you don't really see it crushing it economically yet. There's a few companies that have done quite well, but it's not taken over. But you're seeing just year after year increasing opportunities where it's not just a science project and it's got commercial viability, which is where I get really excited. I'm more of a go-to-market guy. And it's happening. So uh, I, I just think that pace will quicken. And, and again, fast forward, crystal ball, who knows, five years, 10 years, 20 years, something like that. This is how we unlock the concept of a Moore's law for agriculture and plants, uh, where the enemy has kind of been the slow pace of things, where it takes seven to 10 years to create a new crop trait or to get through regulatory and R&D um, eight years to get a new chemistry product out in the market, which I think is kind of ridiculous and call me like an impatient, uh, I'm an old millennial, uh, <laughs> but there's better ways to do it. And, and I think working with nature-based solutions, uh, we can be more agile, be more resilient. And this is the future of ag versus kind of bulk synthetic brute forest approaches. Um, so I, I'm just super jazzed about it, as you can tell. And I think to come back to your question, it's not quite software pace, but like it's, it's getting there and it's like, it's software pace with even bigger impact because it's the confluence of physical stuff and data science and AI all coming together with, with uh, leveraging biology. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and don't worry, I'm an old millennial myself. Uh, but uh, Travis, maybe let me ask you, what did you see that said, you know what, I need to get 
a software guy who also is an aspiring agronomy geek and an old millennial to come uh, lead the company into the next uh, evolution. What were you seeing out there? Yeah, I think it's a lot of what Adam just just highlighted. It's thinking about, you know, these ecosystems we live in, the fact that we have these complex networks. It's thinking about that and then thinking we're getting increasing amounts of data at every level on molecules, on gene networks, on ecosystems. And as we think about creating products and taking us to the market, I think we do need to think more like a software company in terms of how aggressive we go and how we position products and how we tailor products to particular growers or users. That's a trend we've seen broadly in the field of synthetic biology over the past 20 years is really thinking about living systems as an engineerable substrate, as more of an engineering project than a discovery project. And so I think that if you, if you kind of follow that thread and you believe in that, then it makes sense that you want to take the best of software, the best of technology, you know, the, the upsides of those go-to-market strategies and use those in a field like ours. I'll add one other point that I think is interesting, at least back to the business side, but talking about the software application. So take everything Travis just said, and also think about the behavior of a company and how they learn. In ag, traditionally, you are very, very careful for good reason to make sure your products are tested for years and years and years uh, under every condition to make sure that they work because growers only have 40 chances at a good harvest if you're talking about row crops. And if you screw on up, you could take the farm under. Um, so that makes good sense. But it's, it's kind of the opposite of software where you are learning as you go and iterating once you launch things that are MVP mentality and then you improve as you go. That is a flat out superior method of learning, just no debate and, and running a company if you can do it. But you need to figure out how to do it where you're going fast and not breaking things because here you can't break things, then you lose your customer and you're also just doing bad things for the planet and, and the food system. So how do you do that? And, and there, I think there's just a, a lot of fun, creative things you can try to bring to bear. Again, the data science aspect to be more targeted also things like performance guarantee, where if you're going to do that, and, and we had we had three years plus of data with source, but we probably went to market a little sooner than a large company would. But because we have a performance guarantee, and in some cases where it doesn't work, and it, it doesn't work everywhere, we will pay the grower back uh, so the grower is not out the price of the product. And it's kind of rock solid. It's a, it cut you a check right at the end of the year. So you have to, I think, be more aggressive and creative and be willing to do things that others wouldn't if you want to run a company in that way. But your reward is you learn faster, you get to impact faster, you get to better results faster for the company's benefit and your customers. So cool. Well, I know we're, we're getting close to the end of the time I ha uh, that I've asked of you guys. I do want to give you the last few minutes here. Anything we didn't get to that you wanted to make sure we cover uh, or anything you just want to double down on to put some punctuation on this episode, you have the floor. Travis, if you want, you can go first. Yeah, I, I think it's important for us. And the one thing we get excited about is that the approach we're taking is pretty unique out there in the nutrient efficiency space. Literally everybody else is looking at this from a how do I engineer a microbe point of view? What we're doing is saying the microbes are already there in the soil. What we're doing is giving the grower a tool to unlock and leverage what's already in their soil. So it's a very different mindset and a very different approach. And I think that that is a unique value prop and a unique message to growers. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I'll, uh, I'll give a plug for the space overall. And just um, I like to remind folks or ask folks for 
open-mindedness with not just our product, but products like this around nutrient efficiency, because I think it's incredibly important area of the space to, to solve. And it's a win-win-win for the world, for consumers and for growers and, and the soil. If we can do this well, it is a fact that over 30% of nitrogen is, is wasted into waterways in the air. And so it might not work everywhere. It might not work on your exact farm with every single product, but be open-minded um, as opposed to what I think happens is some things that haven't worked in the past, you kind of write off forever. Ask for things from the companies you're working with to reduce your risk, but um, don't stop trying because these things are always getting better. And you know, in the 10 years since you might've tried something before, things have changed drastically. Uh, so whether it's going to be us or someone else, I think this space is here to stay. And fast forward, uh, there's going to be lots of reason for growers to experiment to figure out which of these products are going to help them get more efficient uh, with their fertilizer. All right. Well, thank you so much to both Adam Lytle and Travis Bayer for being on today's show. To learn more about what they're doing, just head over to sound.ag. I'm really excited for the potential of uh, their company and their team, but also their approach generally, as I think it applies to several of the more exciting startups uh, that are out there in ag tech today. And on that note, one question I've been asking guests lately is for a shout out to another individual or company that they feel is doing meaningful work for the future of agriculture. And usually I, I just use this for my own personal reference. In fact, it rarely makes it into the episode. I, I kind of use it for other potential guests and networking and all sorts of things. But in this case, I thought it was kind of cool that they called out two recent guests. So I thought I would share that with you. Travis mentioned the work they're doing over at Pattern Ag which we featured recently in episode 329. And Adam pointed to uh, some former granular employees who started a little company called Farmer's Risk, which we actually featured last week in episode 336. And these recommendations were not prompted. They didn't know they were on the show. In fact, the Farmer's Risk episode hadn't aired yet. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Go check out those two if you haven't. Again, that's Pattern Ag and 329 Farmer's Risk last week on 336. I also recommend you go back and listen to Adam's first appearance on episode 295 of this show as well. There's a ton of interesting stuff there with surprisingly little overlap to what you just heard, which I think speaks to how much they've got going on there at SoundAg. Anyway, thank you so much for your time and your attention. Really, I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. 